Read with me in John chapter 15. And uh, most Christians, as they face battles and they don't move from the battlefield to the winner's circle, one of the main reasons are is they don't understand who we are and the rights we have as children of God. We are the children of God through the blood of Jesus Christ. But gang, we're more than children. We are sons of God. We are joint heirs with Christ Jesus. Now, a son and a child may sound the same, but you would never give your child the keys to the car because the child, when you speak of a child, it speaks of youth or immaturity. We are not just children of God. We are sons of God through the blood of Jesus Christ. What I'm saying is, is we have authority in the name and by the blood of Jesus Christ that most people don't understand. See, when most Christians are praying, they're asking Jesus to do something for them. Jesus said, after the cross, don't pray to me. Don't pray to me. You now, through my blood and through my death, have a right to go right into the Holy of Holies, and now you pray to the Father. Before Jesus died, he prayed to the Father for us. After he died, he said, don't pray to me. Don't pray to me. But you go in to the Father. Now, remember when Jesus died and the veil separating the people from the presence of God? What happened to that veil? It ripped. What does that mean? It means that you and I have the right to go right into the presence of our Father. And the reason why we have that right is because God wants us to understand that the blood of Jesus Christ has given us access to the throne of God, and with that access comes authority. Whatsoever you bind on earth is bound in heaven, and whatsoever you loosen on earth is loosed in heaven. Jesus has already done it. When he hung on the cross, he said, it is finished. And then he said, I've got to go because I need to send another who is identical to myself. That's the Holy Ghost. Gang, we have the Holy Spirit so that wherever we go, Jesus said, we can, we can tell the world that the kingdom is at hand. Wherever we put the sole of our feet, God gives us that land for an inheritance. When you walk into your home, you need to bring the presence of God the anointing of God, the power of God. When you walk into your job, when you walk down the neighborhood, that neighborhood may be full of gangs and drugs, but when you walk down that Jesus said, I'm going with you, and my power is going with you, and my anointing is going with you, and wherever you go, tell them the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That comes because we understand the authority that we have. I'm not waiting for Jesus to do it. He's already done it. Now Jesus is waiting for us to do it through the revelation of the anointing that we have. Amen. All right, look at John chapter 15. Look at verse 14. I want to bring just a little nugget to you so that you understand the authority that you have in seeing your life, your family, your marriage, your children set free by the name and the power of Jesus Christ. Look at verse 14. This is Jesus speaking. And he says, you are my friends if you do whatever I command you to do. Jesus said, you are my friends if you do whatever I command you to do. Now, we need to understand, first off, what the word friend means. Doesn't mean somebody I like or somebody I hang out with or somebody I'll go fishing with. 
it has a much stronger and deeper meaning. Jesus said, no longer do I call you servants, but now I call you friends. Now remember, in one of the other tapes, we talked about the Western mentality versus the Eastern mentality. We need to understand what's being written according to Eastern mentality. If a king presented somebody, you or me or anybody, before all the rest of the people, and he said, this man or this woman is now my friend, that means something that you and I, as Western mentality people, don't normally understand. In a kingdom, see, we're in a democracy in America, but in a kingdom, everybody, everybody from the, from the queen down to the prince and the princess down to the people, everybody in a kingdom is a servant except the king. That's why you remember when Esther was being prompted by the Holy Spirit and Mordecai said, you need to go and talk to the king. The king was her husband, but she wasn't allowed to go into his presence unless he summoned her. Even though she was the queen, she was still a servant. A lot of Christians still look at ourselves as simply servants. But Jesus say, is saying, don't think of yourself that way. If we think of ourselves, gang, simply as, as servants, we're not going to understand the power and the authority that we have to break whatever it is the devil brings against our lives. Jesus said, no longer, no longer are you a servant, but now you are a friend. If I had my brother here and I was a king and I brought him up and I said, this man is no longer a servant, but now he is my friend. What that would literally mean is now his authority is my authority. My authority is his authority. My power is his power. My army is his army. My wealth is his wealth. When he speaks, it's the same as if I'm speaking. So Jesus said, no longer do I call you servants, but now I call you friend. He's saying, now I give you great authority. And whatever you bind on earth is bound in heaven, and whatever you loosen on earth is loosed in heaven. Let's say your child is bound by drugs. And so, so many mothers with a good heart go and they lay hands on that, and that child's pillow. And they say, I bind this spirit of drugs, or I bind gangs, or I bind this. And what they're really doing is hoping something happens. We lay hands on our checkbook. And we bind the devil that's attacking our finances. And so many of us, in reality, are hoping something happens. Folks, we don't have to hope. We need to command. Say, well, who do you think you are? I'm a friend of Jesus. I'm a friend of God through the blood of Jesus. And whatsoever, say whatsoever. Whatsoever I bind, whatsoever you bind on earth is then bound in heaven. And let me share this. Sunday. When God spoke to us to give that grandmother my handkerchief that I was carrying and, and said, the anointing is going to break your child free. He's in the gangs, he's in the drugs, and he's going to get set free. God spoke to us of that. We have the anointing and the authority to do that. That afternoon, her gang member grandson called home and said, and he said, you know, I don't want to talk to mom. I don't want to talk to dad. I want to talk to grandma. I need out of this thing. I need to be set free. Folks, that didn't come by good luck. It came by anointing. Somebody give the Lord a clap offering. No longer do I call you servants. The servant does not know what his master is doing, but I've called you friends. For all things that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. 
You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain. Now watch this. Here's how we go from the war to the winning circle. Now, is the Bible true? Can we claim the word of God to be truth? Look at what Jesus said. That whatsoever, whatsoever you ask the Father in my name, he may give to you. Now, I want, you to, I want you to underline that in your Bible. Because the Bible doesn't say some things, most things, a few things. He said, whatsoever you ask the Father, whatever you ask the Father, in my name, he may give to you. But the key to that is being a friend, one with authority. The key to being a friend and having authority is that you and I are willing to do whatever he tells us to do. The authority is there, the power is there, but it comes with a condition. Look at verse 14 again. You are my friends if, you ought to underline that great big little word if. You are my friends if you do whatever I command you to do. Now, we're not talking about our salvation. We're not talking about making heaven our home. We make heaven our home. We are born again. We are going to live with Jesus forever simply by receiving the blood of the Lamb. But folks, I don't want the blessing of God in the sweet pine sky when I die. I want the anointing of God and the power of God down on the ground while I'm still around. And that means that I have to do whatever it is the Lord is telling me to do because it's going to bless me. So how do I go from my will to the Father's will? How do I yield my will so that I will do whatever it is that God wants me to do so that I can become a friend of God, not just somebody that Jesus loves. He loves us all. But I'm talking about one who's a friend who lives in the anointing and the authority that God has for me. Let me read something to you as you turn to Isaiah 53. The Bible says in Matthew chapters 26, it says, the spirit is indeed willing, but the flesh is weak. I believe everybody listening to this tape, and I believe everybody that's, that's in this room, every one of us wants to do whatever God tells us to do. We wouldn't be here. We wouldn't be listening to this tape if we didn't want to do whatever it is God told us to do. Because we understand he's not a hard taskmaster. He's a good God. He's not a taker. He's a giver. He's not a herder. He's a healer. God is not a hard taskmaster. If we did to our children what the church says God does to his children, we would be, and rightfully so, arrested for child abuse. The foundation of everything is that Satan is the one who comes to steal, kill, and destroy, not Jesus, not our Heavenly Father. You've got to have that understanding. God is not a hard taskmaster. He is our Father. He is a loving God. He's a giving God. He's not a taking God. And I just feel like we need to rebuke that spirit. Folks, I was taught for 15 years that God would kill your child to test your love for him. Folks, that's not my God. That's not Jesus Christ. And that's not our Heavenly Father. Somebody say amen. God is not a taker. God is a giver. He's, a, he's not a hard taskmaster. He's a good God. Okay, so how do we move? The spirit is indeed willing, but the flesh is weak. 
We want to move in the blessing of God. We want to move in the anointing of God. We want to move in the authority of God. How do we move to the point that we're saying, Father, not my will, but thine be done? Read with me in Isaiah chapter 53, verse 4. This is one of the greatest revelations that I've gotten in the last 20 years. Verse 4 says, Surely he, being Jesus, has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteem him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. Now listen to verse 5. For he was wounded for our transgressions, and he was bruised for our iniquity, that the chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we were healed. Now here's a scripture that every Christian that's been around the church for any length of time has heard over and over again. The devil gang doesn't want us to know about the blood of Jesus Christ. Can I have an amen? Because in Revelations chapter 12, it says they overcame him, they being the children of God, overcame him being the devil by the blood of the Lamb. Now, there is no power in Christian ritual. There is no power in Christian ritual, but there is life-changing, devil-destroying power in biblical revelation. Ritual has no power. Revelation, the truth we know, will come and make us free. So when we're talking about the blood, so many times as Christians, we parrot the word, well, I plead the blood, I plead the blood. Well, we need to understand about the blood. But let me give it to you. Number one is by his stripes we were healed. When, when, when they hung Jesus on that whipping post, there are 39 known diseases, 39 known root diseases worldwide. Jesus was whipped. Jesus was whipped 39 times. Every time he was whipped, blood came out. That blood redeemed us from the curse of the sin of sickness, and by his blood, we were healed. Let me share this because, because so many people haven't been taught enough about the blood of Jesus. The Bible says that we're redeemed by the blood. We, when I first got saved, we used to sing that song, I've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. And so many times when we, when we sing that, when we hear the word redeemed, we, we're thinking about simply being forgiven. But the word redeemed means to be ransomed as if somebody was kidnapped. Somebody comes in, an evil person comes in, steals a child from the security, the provision, the love of their mom and dad, and they kidnap them. Then the father comes in, pays the ransom, and brings that child back home to its security, its food, its bed, its housing, its clothing. That's exactly what Jesus has done. Most Christians don't understand this. They think we've been simply forgiven. And, and like I said in tape one, if that's all Jesus did, how many know that would be more than enough? If that's all he did, it would be more than enough. But the Bible says he redeemed us. He ransomed us, and it means to be brought back to the original state. I've been in the ministry now for almost 21 years, and people always ask, well, Pastor, how far can we go in expecting the blessing of God on our lives? And, and it's real simple. If we want to know what we can expect through the blood of Jesus, all we have to do is go to where man lived before sin, and that's what our Heavenly Father has for us. 
if you want to know the way it's supposed to be, go to the beginning. In the Garden of Eden, was there any sickness? We're redeemed by the blood. Was there any poverty? We're redeemed by the blood. Was there any hate, prejudice, racism, divorce, suicide, uh, drug addiction, alcoholism? Was there any of that? You and I have a right to claim and plead the power of the blood that ransoms us from the kidnapper of God's blessing and brings us back to the way it's supposed to be by the blood of Jesus Christ. So if the devil attacks our lives in our marriage, in our finances, in our body, in our minds, if he attacks us anywhere, he has no right unless we allow him to do that through ignorance. He has no right to attack us in these areas of our lives because if he goes into our lives, he is trespassing on blood-bought property that's been paid for by the blood of the Lamb, which is Jesus Christ. See, you've got to understand that. That is our right. Folks, we're in this world. Now, I'm going to get out in Star Wars a little bit. We're in this world, but we're not of this world. We've got to grab a hold of that. How many have ever heard of Smith Wigglesworth? Smith Wigglesworth, I've read every book uh, on him, had one of the greatest miracle ministries of all time. And there was a time that he was over in, uh, in Africa, and there was a great disease broke out, and, and people were dying everywhere. And when the Red Cross or medical aid got there, Smith Wigglesworth was working amongst these people. And they said, man, we've got we've to get you out of here. You're going to die from this. He said, I can't die. I'm a child of God. Now, see, he wasn't just saying it, folks. He understood it. Do you understand? He wasn't just parroting it. He understood it. The biography says that they took some of the disease off of, a, off of a body and put it on his arm. And the moment the disease touched his arm, the disease died. That's because he understood the redeeming power of the blood. He was wounded for our transgression. He's bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him and by his stripes we were healed. So number one is that we can claim freedom and deliverance of all sickness. I say this all the time. I said, I believe our church here will get to the point that nobody will ever be healed again because we won't need to be healed. I believe in healing, but folks, I also believe in divine health. Amen. When sickness, when, you, when that little sniffle starts coming on you, that is the devil getting his toe in there just seeing, just seeing if you'll let him in. Don't, don't run to the medicine cabinet. Run to the blood. Rise up and say, hey, hey, Bubba Lips. You're trying get out of here. And I'm, I'm talking about, I don't care what it is. We, we put up too much with the devil doing things that he is not allowed to do by the blood of Jesus Christ. But the second place his blood was shed was to break the curse of poverty in our lives. When they took a crown of thorns and they placed them on the brow of Jesus, gang, that crown had three and a half inch razor sharp spikes. So when they pressed that on the brow of Jesus Christ, blood came out. Now remember, we're redeemed, we're ransomed, we're brought back to the original state by the blood of Jesus Christ. Let me ask you something. Was there any poverty in the Garden of Eden? None. He, God, ha, God gave it to all to him except the tree, and he gave it to him in abundance. It was a land that literally flowed with milk and honey. God's been trying to get Israel back to the land. God's been trying to get his people back to the land that flows with milk and honey ever since. 
And you know what? Our God is not a poverty God. Christianity, therefore, ought not be a poverty religion. Our daddy owns the cattle on a thousand hills. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. The silver and the gold are mine, saith the Lord. Folks, there's no lack of money in the world. It's just in the wrong hands. It's got to get out of the hands of the wicked into the hands of the righteous. Well, instead of hoping that happens, we need to claim that it's already ours by the blood of Jesus. Remember when Adam and Eve were walking in the garden and they had everything in abundance? It was there for them. And then they sinned, they fell, they disobeyed God. And the Bible said that God came to Adam and he said, Adam, no longer are you going to live in abundance. And God said to Adam, Adam, no longer are you going to live in my abundance, but by the sweat of your brow. Now the brow is the forehead. And then the Bible says that God cursed the land with thorns and thistles. Now come with me 4,000 years later and not the brow of Adam, but the brow of Jesus, the very symbol of poverty, the thorns were now made into a crown placed on his brow. Remember, Adam was cursed by the sweat of his brow when they placed the symbol of poverty on the brow of Jesus. Not sweat came out, but blood came out. And you and I are redeemed by the blood of the Lamb from the curse of poverty through Jesus Christ. See, we, we need to understand the Word of God. With all you're getting, the Bible says, get wisdom. I've been hoping God would bless me for years. When I understood he already paid the price for my financial blessing, it was released immediately into our lives. The third place he, sh he shed his blood here was when they nailed him to the tree and they put the spikes in his hands. And this is a symbol of our authority. When Adam fell, Satan became the God of this world. But now Jesus has come. He paid the price for our sin. He said, I must go so I can send another. That another is the Spirit of God. The Holy Ghost gang is not it. Okay, so many people say, D -d -d have you got the Holy Ghost yet? Oh yeah, I got it two years ago. The Holy Spirit is not tongues. Tongues is a, is a manifestation of the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit is not an it. The Holy Spirit is God the Father, God the Spirit, Son and God the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Almighty God living in us. Man, we ought to use it. And that's why Jesus said, now as my Father sent me, now I send you. Go, lay hands on the sick, cast out devils, etc., etc. Why? Because we have authority. That's why the Bible says, lay hands on no man suddenly. Because when we lay hands on somebody, there is a, an authority and an anointing that's been released because by the blood of Jesus Christ, the authority has been taken from the devil and put back in our hands. Then the blood came out of his feet as they nailed his feet to the cross. And God said, wherever you go, tell them the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Because he said, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. Wherever I go, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. When you walk down your street, and that street could be full of gang members and drug dealers, you walk down there, and you walk down knowing that the kingdom of God is there, and you begin to bind, and you begin to loosen, because we have that power through the blood. Somebody say the blood. Through the blood of Jesus Christ. Then the next place the blood came out is as Jesus hung on the cross, the Bible says that the Roman centurion came and stuck a spear in his side and out of that wound came, now watch this because this is leading us to the next one. 
Out of that wound came blood and water. Doctors say that the reason why the body fluids, not just the blood, but the water in the body was released is because it's a physical symbol that his heart burst, physically burst. Do you remember that Jesus said, I've come to heal the brokenhearted? See, there are people in this room, there are people listening to the tape, this tape right now, that either you or you know somebody, that something tragic has happened to you. You've been abandoned or molested or abused or whoever, whatever it is. Who knows what it is? But God knows. And because of that hurt, it's left a scar in your life. Jesus said, I've come right now. It's broken. He said, I've come to heal the brokenhearted. Gang, God will turn that hurt into a halo. Amen? God will turn that scar into a star right now. If you'll, if you'll claim, Lord, I claim the blood of Jesus. There's people that's lives have been scarred because of something the devil has done. God will turn that scar into a star for your life. If you claim the blood of Jesus, his heart was broken so that your heart and your life could be made every whit whole. Now, notice something here right now, because we're going to go into another part of this. Read with me in verse 10. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief when you make his soul an offering for sin. Now, Isaiah 53 is almost always used for the teaching of, by his stripes we were healed. But folks, there is so much more here than a physical healing. There is an incredible spiritual healing that takes place by the blood of Jesus that most of us don't see. I just gave you five places that Jesus shed his blood. Let me give you two more. Actually, the very first place that Jesus shed his blood was not at the whipping post, but in the garden. We've talked to you about outer miracles. I'm going to talk to you right now about an inner miracle. When Jesus went to the garden, we need to realize that it's not an accident that the very first place that Jesus shed his blood was in a garden. Because when he shed his blood in the garden of Gethsemane, he bought back for us by his blood something that was lost 4,000 years before in the garden of Eden. Let me say this slow so everybody can catch this because it's the truth you understand that makes you free. When Adam and Eve disobeyed God, they're in the garden, God said you can have it all, but that one tree, that's mine. God has always had something that's sacred to him. In the beginning it was the tree, later it was the prophets and the tithe. There's always been something that God says to the people, don't touch. Don't touch the tree. Don't touch my anointed, don't touch my prophets, don't touch my tithe. There's always been those things that are sacred to God that we can't touch. And when they were in the, in the garden, we know that Eve was the first one that touched the tree. But the Bible says Eve was beguiled. In other words, she was tricked. But because Adam was supposed to be the covering of Eve, the Bible says that Eve was beguiled, but Adam willfully disobeyed God. Now, you got to understand what's happening here. It's real easy for the world to say to somebody who's a drug addict or an alcoholic or bound by anything in their lives, just stop it. But folks, when Adam disobeyed God and he ate of that tree, he literally said, Father, he made a choice. 
And he said, Father, not your will, but mine. And at that moment, guys, for all mankind, as sin entered into the world through one man, sin leaves the world through one man. It entered through Adam, not Eve. And it's defeated through Jesus. When he said, Father, I know you don't want me to eat of the tree, but I decide I'm going to eat it. At that moment, he surrendered the willpower of all mankind. Gang, I used to be a drug addict. And every time I'd stick that knee to my arm, I'd throw it away again. I'd say, I'm never doing that again. But then something inside of me would drive me to do it. The same thing with drugs or alcohol or anger or perversion or mental illness or whatever it is. There's something that drives us. Now, number one is the Bible says that when Jesus was praying in the garden of Gethsemane, we need to understand something. That Jesus was not one person in that garden, but folks, he was two people. He was man and he was the Son of God. He was the Son of God in a person's body. Being the Son of God, he knew what was about to happen to him. He knew they were going to rip the beard from his face. He knew Judas was going to betray him. He knew they were going to nail him to a tree. He knew he was going to suffer incredible physical pain. He was going to suffer the humiliation as they hung him naked on the tree and people spit on him. Being God, he knew what was about to take place. Being man, he would feel every stroke, every whip, every bit of humility and spit. Being God, he knew. Being man, he would feel it. So as he was praying in that garden, you and I know what he said, but we need to understand why he said it. He said, Father, if there be some other way, take this cup away from me. That was the will of man. It's the greatest battle that's taken place since the, the Garden of Eden. And he said, Father, if there be some other way, that was the flesh. Remember, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And he said, if there be some other way, take this cup away from me. But then the Spirit of God overrode, and he said, Nonetheless, lest I drink this cup, not my will, but thy will be done. And the Bible says at that moment, he sweat as great drops of blood. Now remember, we're redeemed by the blood. Doctors say that usually a person will die from a heart attack before this will ever happen. But if they don't die, the, 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 the fear and, and the tension causes the blood vessels right below the skin to burst, and out of the pores, instead of sweat, comes blood. And the Bible says, when he surrendered to the will of our Father, he sweat great drops of blood. And that moment, for every drug addict and every alcoholic and every man or woman who's battling with their willpower, at that moment, the blood bought back man's willpower once and for all. And when the devil says to you, as he said to my mom and dad, your son's a junkie. And once a junkie, always a junkie. The world says once a junkie, always a junkie. But the word says who the sun sets free is free indeed. Folks, I don't battle with drugs anymore. I haven't battled with drugs for 21 years because the blood of Jesus bought back my willpower and the devil has no place with it ever again. So when the devil says you're too weak, you say, no, I'm not because I've got the blood of Jesus on my will. But there's one more step because we're not talking about simply fighting this with our willpower. We're talking about being transformed. We're talking about being totally changed. So there's one more place that Jesus shed his blood. 
Now remember, we're redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. This scripture that we just read said, He was wounded for our transgressions, and He was bruised for our iniquity. If you're out playing or working and, and you get a wound, that wound is a cut on your body somewhere, and when you cut yourself, the blood flows outward. Now, we've just talked about five different places that Jesus shed his blood, or six different places that Jesus shed his blood on the outside. Now, listen to me very carefully. He was wounded for our transgressions. The word transgressions means the act of a sin. The blood washes away every sin we've committed. It's not covered over. It's not like typing and you make a mistake and you put white out on it and then somebody can come and scratch it away. The blood of Jesus, somebody say the blood. I don't care if it's drug addiction or alcoholism or lying and stealing or abortion or, you know, anything. It doesn't matter. The blood of Jesus washes that away. Though our sins be as scarlet. That word scarlet means deep dyed, heavily stained, that can't come out in a normal washing. Though they be deep dyed stains, the blood of Jesus makes us whiter than snow. It means we never did it. Say, so do you remember when you were a drug addict? No, I was never a drug addict. Oh yeah, you were a drug addict. No, I wasn't. That was somebody else. You see, I've been born again. That's what it means. See, the devil is the accuser of the brethren. He comes in and accuses of what you did yesterday. And all you have to do is say, nope, that, that's not there because, you see, I'm born again. And the blood has washed that away. So he was wounded for our transgressions. A wound is a bleeding on the outside. But watch this. This is one of the greatest revelations I've gotten in years. Not only was he wounded for our transgressions, but this scripture here says that he was bruised for our iniquity. Now, remember, we're talking about family curses. The iniquity, the word iniquity means an inherited weakness in a person's nature. Like father, like son. The Bible says in Exodus 34 that the iniquity, see so many times people quote the scripture and say the sins of the father are passed down to the third and the fourth generation. That's not what it says. Because the sin is immediately washed away by the wound, the blood out of the wound. It doesn't say the sin. It says the iniquity is passed down. That's why, as we said in the first tape in Breaking Family Curses, a child who has been abused has a very high percentage chance of becoming a child abuser. Why? Because of the sin? No, that's washed away. You can't pass the sin down but the iniquity, the weakness on the inside, the thing that drives us to do what we know we're not supposed to do, that spirit is passed down from generation to generation. So we're not talking about struggling with a character weakness or a family curse the rest of our lives. We're talking about being redeemed by the blood. He was wounded for our transgressions. Anything we've ever done is covered by the blood of Jesus. But so that we don't have to go and do it anymore, he was bruised. You know, a bruise, if you have a bruise on your body, it means that you're bleeding on the inside. Now, remember the word iniquity means something on the inside, an inherited weakness on the inside that causes us to do what we know we ought not do. This is why Jesus said, I've come to set the captive free. 
that we can plead the blood. Not only did he bleed, bleed in the garden, not only did he bleed uh, at the whipping post, not only did he bleed with the crown of thorns, not only did he bleed in his hands and his feet and his side, but he bled on the inside so that every one of us, because man looks on the outside, but God looks on the inside, every one of us can claim the blood of Jesus and say, you know what, devil, you're not going to drive me in this area anymore. You're not going to control me in this area anymore. And I'm not talking about self-control. I'm talking about blood-bought power on the inside for every man and woman. He bought back our willpower. He bought back our strength through his blood in the garden. And he was bruised so that we are miraculously, I'm talking about a miracle. If you have a husband or wife that needs a miracle in their lives, you can claim the blood of Jesus. Say, Lord, this is true in your word. You were bruised for the thing that's driving us on the inside. And I plead the blood of Jesus Christ and immediately see the captive set free. Somebody give the Lord a clap offering. 